Well, hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in with us on Facebook Live, on YouTube, wherever else you might be watching. It's so great to have you here with us. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. We're continuing our series called The Blessed Life. Now, we've been digging into the Beatitudes, and last week, Jennifer Colby, our women's ministry director, she did an incredible job helping us figure out or understand how when we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it naturally leads to us as disciples, followers of Jesus, becoming merciful. I mean, after all, the Spirit reveals in each of us that we have done nothing to earn God's grace and love, much less His mercy. That's what makes our salvation such an incredible gift. Now, I've heard grace and mercy described like this. And if you happen to be at our Ash Wednesday service, Pastor Steve Bang also shared the same thing. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do. Mercy looks at people through the lens of kindness with heartache and compassion. And if you were here last week or you missed, uh, there are two kinds of mercy that Jennifer talked about. The first is practical mercy, meeting people's actual needs, even when they deserve maybe your judgment, assuming the best in people, even when you have the right to assume the worst. Spiritual mercy, which is actually the hardest of the two, is showing mercy to others because God showed mercy to you. It's showing mercy not just to the person whose sins you relate to, which let's be honest, that's easy. When it's something I struggle with, if I want mercy there, it's way easier for me to show mercy to people who struggle with the same thing. But it's also showing mercy to the people you can't relate to, even the ones who have wronged you. It's remembering you and I deserved God's anger, but instead we got his love. We deserve for God to turn his back on us, but instead... He came looking for us. We deserved his wrath, but instead we got his son. And when we understand this, this is where the declaration, God says, blessed are the merciful. And then here comes the promise for they will be shown mercy. Now, here's what makes this particular beatitude so amazing. We can only true, truly show God's mercy because we've already seen how merciful God is to us. But God's mercy isn't a one-time thing. It's not one and done. It's continual. It's ongoing. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, wrote this in Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in Him. This is what I love about this verse. We get even more of God's mercy the more merciful we become. God's mercies just don't stop. Which brings us to today's beatitude, the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Each week we've seen how every beatitude flows into the next. How being poor in spirit has led us to mourn over our sin. How that mourning over sin leads to true humility and meekness. And how that meekness makes us hunger and thirst to crave to know, to know more of and be more like Jesus. Which is if we're moved to be more like Jesus, we will be merciful like Jesus. And here Jesus then says, Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All of the other Beatitudes seem something that we can actually grasp, right? I mean, I can, I can wrap my head around mercy. 
I can wrap my head around being spiritually poor. I can wrap my head around mourning. I can even, I understand the idea of craving God. But out of all of them, this is the one, in my opinion, is probably the most difficult to comprehend. I mean, think about it. Out of all of the Beatitudes, I think this one speaks the most to the longing in people's hearts. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, Christian, agnostic, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, whatever you might be, I think all people have a desire to see God, to know if God is real. Now, Sylvia Platt put it this way, I talk to God, but the sky is empty. I know a lot of people who feel like they, they want to talk to God, but they just feel like there's nothing there. This is also why for me, this is the hardest one to preach and teach on because if we don't understand it, well, we'll continue to misunderstand it. There's a sacred longing in us as humans to see God. And this is where Jesus says, um, when he says this, what exactly does he mean? What does he mean to say, blessed are the pure in heart? Is to be pure in heart about sexual purity? Is it about moral purity or those who have nothing to do with the world? And what does he mean when he promises that they'll see God? Is it a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus? Like all of a sudden, if your heart is pure enough, pop, there's Jesus right in front of you. And there now all your questions are answered. I mean, these are real things, but here's the thing. The Bible tells us, I mean, this is God talking to Moses, okay? Exodus 33:20. 20, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. God is so holy that if we were to come face to face with him, we would literally die. We would die in his presence. Paul writes to his spiritual protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Paul even acknowledges that no one has ever seen or will see God this side of heaven. So how do we make sense of this beatitude? Well, I think we have to start with the first part. Blessed are the pure in heart. The Bible actually says a lot about the heart. The heart's pretty important to God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Your heart is the key to actually finding God. Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Your life is a reflection of what's going on inside of you. Proverbs 4, 23 says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Your heart needs to be tended to. Tended to. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Our trust is in God and we need to trust him with all that we are. And then Psalm 34, 8 says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God draws near to those whose hearts are broken. And trust me, there's so many more verses we could spend literally this entire time just reading verses talking about the heart. So why does Jesus place this particular beatitude right here, right after mercy? Well, I'll tell you, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Just like everything else Jesus did, there's an intentionality to it. You see, it's not just any heart that lets you see God. It's a pure heart. Now, everything so far has been about Jesus revealing our complete 
dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives in order to help us to become the kind of people that Jesus in the Beatitudes is talking about. A few weeks ago, I shared a quote from one of my mentors, Mike Bradley. God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. Once again, if we just take a minute, we'll find that Jesus is inviting us to dig deeper than we realize. You see, it's because of what the Holy Spirit has already done in us that we discover what Jesus is actually getting at. Now, I want to pull us back a little bit. You remember the first three Beatitudes I said they're about, that's what Jesus is doing in you. And then when you come and you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the place where you're hungering to be more like Jesus. And then Jesus sends you out into the world to live out what's been done in you. Well, there's actually a direct connection between the Beatitudes. Let me show you. This, I mean, this, this is cool. The poor in spirit, when you're poor in spirit, that's the first beatitude, you end up after hungering and thirsting for God, becoming merciful. Why? It's because we realize how poor we really are, how desperate we really are, that we depend on God's gifts of mercy that end up making us merciful. And the second beatitude actually leans into today's. That once you understand your need for a savior, you mourn over your sin, well, that mourning is actually what leads to a purity of heart. True mourning over our sins and the sins of the world is the cleansing agent of our heart. What if mourning our sins is what begins the process of purifying our hearts towards the Lord? Think about it this way. Why did Jesus weep for the sin and brokenness of the world? Because Jesus had a pure heart. This is why God cares so much about our hearts. You see, it's not our actions or our words that keep us from God. It's our hearts. R.T. Kendall puts it this way. The heart is the seat of personality. The personality is the sum total of mind, emotions, and will. The mind refers to our intellect or understanding. The emotions refer to our feelings. And the will refers to our making decisions or commitment. All three summed up mean our heart. Think of it another way. Mind plus emotion plus well, will equals your heart or the real you. The real you is not just a singular part. It's all those things made up. It's what you feel, what you think, and what you do. That's who you actually are. This is why in 1 Samuel, God says this, Do not look on the outward appearance or the height of a man's stature, because I've rejected that. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, the whole of a person. A pure heart means our whole being has been purified towards the Lord. Now here's the problem. The Bible tells us that we have divided hearts. Our heart is at odds, at war with itself. Let me give you an example. We think that we can love God with our emotions, have strong feelings with, about God, but not actually love God with how we live. That I can say I love God, but I can sleep around. I can say that I love God, but hate my neighbor. Some people think they can even love the idea of Jesus. That's what we call theology, the idea of God, but not actually love Jesus himself. This is one of the problems that a lot of Christians have. In fact, if I'm honest, it's a struggle I've had in my own life. Sometimes I love the idea of Jesus more than I actually love Jesus himself. When this happens, when this war, this division of heart takes place, it's like a fracturing of our heart. 
And if you've ever seen a really badly broken bone, you'll see that sometimes a bone splinters and it leaves fragments. It leaves debris that needs to be tended to. Well, that's what God wants to purify. It's all that debris that comes with our fractured, our divided heart. Because God doesn't want some of your heart. He wants all of it. He wants all of you. But here's the thing. God knows how difficult this is for us. He knows that the battle for our whole heart is real, that it's a struggle every human being faces. It's a conflict that resides in every single one of us. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Romans 7, 15 through 20. I do not understand what I do. Have you ever done something? You're like, why did I do that? For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that God's law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Sometimes it feels, when we sin, it feels out of body, doesn't it? For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Let me simplify Romans 7 for you. It simply says this. We want to love God with our whole heart. We want our lives to honor God, but we simply can't on our own. No matter how hard we try. And this is why we need the Beatitudes. This is why Jesus preaches the Beatitudes at the beginning of his sermon. The Beatitudes are not something you do once. They are continually done. It is a daily dying to ourselves and reminding ourselves of our need for a Savior. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it clear that no matter how hard you and I try, by ourselves, we cannot fix our hearts. Jeremiah, again, in Jeremiah 17, says it this way. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All human beings, all of our hearts, they've all got sickness in them. Even the best of us. And then he goes on to say this. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is kind of a painful text because here's what God is saying. Listen, God sees your heart, whether or not you're a Christian or not. God knows what your heart intention is. And if your heart is for sin in a world in which Jesus is not Lord, he's going to give you what you want. The brokenness of sin in your life. If you're a Christian, if you love God and you're struggling with sin, God sees your desire to love him. And guess what? He's going to honor that. He sees that you want that, but it's, there's that surrender that takes place. This is the danger when it comes to talking about our heart. And why, As Christians, we need to avoid saying things like this. All you need to do is just trust your heart. No, don't trust your heart. Run as far away as possible. Your heart will often lead you in the wrong direction. Or how about this one? Jason, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yes, the heart wants to do bad things. That doesn't mean there's always bad. Sometimes we want good, but we cannot trust the heart without the Holy Spirit. Our hearts cannot purify themselves. They just simply can't. When we look at this, imagine a sponge. 
Better yet, a paintbrush. If you've ever painted before, you get the paint roller. Isn't it funny that no matter how many times you rinse it, there's always paint left over. I, I never understand that. I mean, I can spend hours cleansing it and trying to get every drop of paint out, and there's always some. That's the problem with our hearts, is that our hearts have been tainted by sin. We need something supernatural, something outside of our ability to cleanse them. Jesus says this in Luke 6.45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Well, Jeremiah just told us that none of us actually have good hearts apart from the Lord. So all of us have that evil that ekes out every once in a while. This applies to all of us, Christian or not. Now, Paul again He says a little bit further in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like temptation? That the desire to do bad is just always creeping around somewhere? Maybe it's that white little lie. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now listen to this next phrase because this is where Paul, Paul understands the Beatitudes, particularly the first two. What a wretched man am I? That's his spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's acknowledging, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will show mercy to this wretched man? Paul understands the heart of the Beatitudes. But then listen to what he says in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the answer, the deliverer. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Let's talk about this law of sin with us, the dark side. Not talking about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, okay? We all actually have a dark side. It's that side of us that when our sponge gets squeezed, the real us, the stuff that hasn't been tended to, comes out. It's the stuff we try and hide that shows up at sometimes the worst times. When we're afraid, when we're angry, feeling ashamed, insecure, or out of control, that's when the dark side shows up. When everything's great, when things are easy, It's easy to be good, but when your sponge gets squeezed, all of a sudden, all those dark corners of your life have a way of creeping out, don't they? That's why we need Jesus. What if drugs, drinking, too much much drinking, pride, sexual immorality, lying, stealing, gossip, rage, what if they're actually not the problem, but the symptom? What if they're actually the direct result of a heart at war, a divided heart? Paul writes in Galatians 5.17, For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. We actually have a war. The spirit is at war against our flesh. Our flesh is not referring to this stuff. It's all the, the desires that we want that aren't godly. The Holy Spirit is fighting that war. Now, there's this old Native American proverb, which I've shared this before, and you've heard it before, but I think it's important to share again. The story goes like this. There's two dogs at war. Whichever dog you feed the most is going to win. Well, we have two dogs within us, one that desires God, holy things, and one that desires sin, our flesh. 
Whichever one you feed is going to win. Here's the problem. The Bible never says to put sin on a diet. It says we starve it out. We're not supposed to put, it's not about putting sin on a diet. It's about starving sin out. The reasons our hearts are divided is because we have not completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit's work in our everyday lives. Sometimes we wait to Sunday to do the confession and that's when we've done it. So for six days, six days and 23 hours, we've let sin run rampant and all of a sudden now we come in and we confess and we think it's fine. When in reality, we're supposed to daily come and surrender this to the Lord. So how do we do this? Well, we start off by acknowledging that we have competing affections. Just being truthful. If you're married, you'll understand this. Your spouse wants and deserves your full affection. That's why affairs are so painful. Jesus wants your full affection. The problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees wasn't that they weren't doing the right things. It's that their hearts were far from him. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. In other words, the outside you look really good, but the inside, not so good. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. My children, we have a dishwasher, and my kids sometimes have this habit of putting clean dishes in with the dirty dishes. And sometimes our dishwasher is not strong enough to deal with all of the dirt. We need something more than that. Well, this is something that Jesus is getting to. Do you realize that Jesus rarely had hard things to say to the drunks, the drug addicts, the prostitute, the pornographer, the cheaters, the adulterers? He rarely said hard things. I'm not saying he never did, but he rarely had hard things to say to them. Why? Because those are already lost people that who in their thinking actually think what they're doing is okay. They think they figured it out. His real challenge was to the religious, to the Christians of the day, the Jews who thought that they were honoring God because they did all the right things, but their hearts weren't for God. As a church, we need to take Jesus' words to the Pharisees seriously. Listen to what he says a little bit later. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. I want to say something really hard to the church. We can have a beautiful building that looks really good on the inside, but if in the inside, on the outside, but if the inside looks like death, there's a problem. God doesn't care nearly as much about our buildings as we do. He cares about the people inside the buildings. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's the inside that God is most concerned about, not the outside. So how do we let God purify our hearts? Well, first we have to ask, and this is hard. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to actually do the work. Listen to what Psalm 8611 says. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That word fear there doesn't mean fear in the sense of God hurting us, but it's an awe and reverence, also realizing that he's king and we're not. Second, and this is the hard one, 
It actually, you think the other one is hard. This is the harder one. We need to do the work. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling, but to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his, God's, his good purpose. So what does it mean to work out our salvation? Well, to work out our salvation is the daily surrendering. It starts off with the small things. If you're a Karate Kid fan, we need a Mr. Miyagi, right? Wax on, wax off, Daniel. Paint the fence. Daniel didn't realize that Mr. Miyagi was actually training him for the battle. It's in the small things that we gain the bigger victories. The small habits are where God is building to something bigger. It's the small battles that lead to the big victories in Christ in our life. But sometimes, because of sin in our lives, we need to take bigger steps. There are things that God wants us to get rid of immediately. If you've ever watched a dieting show where somebody's trying to lose weight, you get the personal trainer who goes into their refrigerator, into their pantry, sometimes even to the hidden spaces of their closets, and throws away all the garbage, all the trash food, all the stuff that's, getting, that's making them fat, right? That's why they do it. Why? Because they have to get rid of it immediately in order to make change. Well, here's the thing. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and do some cleaning of our souls and our actual homes. There are things in our homes that are not honoring to the Lord. But here's the part. You don't just throw it in the garbage. Why? Because you can pick it out of the garbage. You throw it in the toilet or down the garbage disposal. Confess, repent, and get rid of it. Don't keep it around. And there are tangible things in our lives that God wants us to get rid of because they are dividing our hearts for the Lord. Now, I'm going to get a little PG-13, so if you're watching with young ones, you may want to just cover their ears because I may say some words that you don't want to explain yet. Pornography. If you have pornography on your phone and your computer, burn it. Get rid of it. Put software on your computer or on your phone that will help you to keep away from pornography. If you're struggling with drinking too much, you're an alcoholic, don't put it in the, in the cabinet, pour it down the drain. If you're having an affair, end it. Delete the person's contact and confess. Come forward, get clean with the Lord and with your spouse. Maybe there are other sins in your life that God is saying, hey, I want to deal with this. Take it seriously. What are the competing idols in your life that are dividing your heart for God? What do you need to tangibly get rid of in your life? And I think some of us, all of us probably have something. But here's the thing. Even if we get rid of all the stuff, only God can actually do the work of purifying. We need to let God do the God stuff. We can do the stuff we can do, but we need to let God do the God stuff. 1 John 1.9 if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. Every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ. And he will continue to cleanse us, to cleanse our hearts, to purify us from all unrighteousness. So now that we have this declaration, blessed are the pure in heart, what about the promise? What about they will see God? Every beatitude 
for sure has an eternal promise, one that we will see face to face with the Lord, every single one of them. And pure in heart is no different. For the pure in heart, one day we will see God face to face. In this form, in this world, we cannot see the direct presence of God, but one day we will spend eternity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a promise. But there's also this earthiness, this grittiness to this promise. Because it's not just about the future, it's about the here and now. And I actually believe Jesus means what he says when he says the pure in heart will see God. And here's where it's helpful to remember Jesus' audience. He's actually giving the Beatitudes before his death and resurrection. So it meant something to them and it means something to us. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus is talking to Jews who do not realize that they're standing face to face with God in flesh. That's the irony of it. Here is Jesus saying, if you were pure in heart, you would know who I am. You would see God right in front of you. And the group, and there were lots of them, but the, the primary Jewish group that could not see Jesus, God right in front of them, were the Pharisees and religious leaders. Sometimes in the church, we're so hard-hearted, divided in our hearts that we can't see where God is moving, that was the Pharisees. But it wasn't just them. The Romans, Pontius Pilate, he could not see Jesus as God. The, the crowd who yelled out, crucify him, they missed Jesus right in, front, right in front of them. The Roman guards who beat him and put a crown of thorn on his heads and nailed him to the cross, they did not see that God was right in front of them. Why? Because they did not have pure hearts. They needed the Holy Spirit to do the work in them. They needed to confess and get real with God. But what if the Beatitudes, what if Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, not just to them, but to us as a way of saying, listen, you won't see God until God tears you down to the studs. What if that's what the Beatitudes are leaning up to? All of this is about God tearing us down to our studs, to bare bones, that we will not see God until he renovates us, until our hearts are fully toward, towards him. And that doesn't happen as long as there is sin and separation, pride and ego and all those things. In Luke 15, the same chapter where Jesus talked about the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus is hanging out with the wrong types of people. He's hanging out with sinners, drunks, prostitutes, um, adulterers, thieves, gays, lesbians, all the people that church has problems with. And the Pharisees get frustrated because all these people are drawn to Jesus because they see his grace, love, and mercy. I wish people were drawn to the church like they are to Jesus. Listen to how they respond. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law that Jesus was hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. Indignant, they grumbled and complained saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. They missed something. Because their hearts were divided, because their hearts were not really for the Lord, they missed God's heart and therefore they missed God. Otherwise, they would have said something like this if their hearts were for the Lord. Instead of saying, look how this man associates with the wrong people, they would have said this instead. Look at how our God, merciful and loving, associates with all of these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come home. What if they had understood, if they had had pure hearts, if they had seen their own brokenness, they could have seen it. 
The Pharisees missed Jesus, God in flesh, right in front of them because they could not see their need for a Savior. They couldn't see their spiritual brokenness and their hearts were not broken for sinners, much less their own sin. They could not humble themselves before the King of Kings, much less to the least of these and the forgotten and the less powerful. They thought they hungered and thirsted for righteousness, but in reality, they cared more about being right than loving God and loving others. They could not see God's mercy in their life, and so therefore they lacked mercy. So what about you and me? They couldn't see God, and he was right in front of them. Can we see God? Absolutely, but not in the way you think. God is, sometimes it feels like God is playing hide and seek, right? I mean, think about it. It's like, God, why don't you just reveal yourself? If you just simply revealed yourself, we believe. He did reveal himself and no one believed. It feels like God is playing hide and seek and yet we didn't know we were playing the game. But is this actually the case? Is God actually hiding from us? The answer is no. And in order to understand this, we need to go all the way back to Genesis 3. I know I talk a lot about Genesis chapters 1 through 3 because guess what? Most of our problems, actually all of our problems started there. Before Satan tempted Eve, she and Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God walked freely in perfect fellowship face to face with Adam and Eve in the garden. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands, their hearts were divided. And they did what all of us do when we feel afraid and ashamed. They hid. See, it's not God who's hiding. It's we who are. We've hid. Sin keeps us in hiding. It makes us so our hearts cannot see. So how do we see God? Well, check this out. And I'm going to end real quickly here. When the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and you begin to hunger and thirst for God, when you forgive as you have been forgiven, when you comfort as you have been comforted, when you show mercy because you have been shown mercy, when you love God and others because he first loved you, You'll see God everywhere. Now, I'm not saying that people are God, but you see people as the image bearers of God, made in the image of God, worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Not that God is creation, but rather you see God's fingerprints in the vastness of the stars and the galaxies, in the beauty of a forest and a mountain, in all of creation. You can't help but see God when you have the heart of God because just like Jesus cared for the lost and the broken and he showed mercy, we see through God's eyes and therefore we encounter God. Does that make sense? We're not going to see God face to face the way we think. But when God grabs a hold of our heart, we can't help but see God everywhere. We're amazed at how big God is. Listen to what 1 John 4.12 says. No one has ever seen God. No one. If we love one another, God abides in us. When God lives in us, he gives us God type vision. It allows us to see other people and therefore to encounter God here and now. So here's the challenge I want to leave you with. Where are you seeing God in your life? Where, maybe it's in your child. Maybe it's in forgiveness. Maybe you've sinned and you're experiencing the grace and love of God. And you're saying, oh my gosh, I see God and how he's caring for me, how he's providing for me. And I want to leave you with this big idea. We will see God when we have God's heart, when we see and treat others and ourselves as God sees and treats us with love, mercy, and compassion. God is doing something new. 
Let us begin to seek after God with all that we are. Let him purify that divided heart. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your son who showed us your heart of love, your mercy. Purify our hearts, Lord. Where there is division, where there are sins in our lives, when there are, if there are tangible things that we need to get rid of, give us the power to get rid of them, not just to put them in storage, but to truly get rid of them. Help us know your mercy and grace. Give us eyes to see others as you see them. Lord, may we delight in who you are. May we be in awe of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.